Hello and welcome to Solid 60, number 65. It is Patrick, your regular host, and it's been a few weeks, I know. I'm going to stretch this out a little bit more, I think, as I go, because there's not a lot going on in my life. And to be honest, until I get a little bit more feedback with this, it's probably not going to be as solid as I uh, would like. Pretty much the same thing that happened with my writing. I was like, yeah, no one's uh, reading this. You know, the odd duck here and there would pop up, but I guess my narcissism is just too great to be venting into the void for too long, because eventually I want some kind of, what do you call it, validation. So, you know, reach out, people. I know I've got one or two regulars, listeners. I want a fucking random. I want a complete and utter stranger, or at least someone who I haven't met. Give me a heads up and go, hey, this is pretty good. Keep doing that thing or more of the other thing that you did in that one episode. Because you hit the nail on the head there. And then I'll be pretty happy and I'll just like, I'll be uh, duck to water. Or i got to stop using the duck analogy, but basically anything and everything. I don't know how much more desperate I can sound. It's a bit like listening to the old uh, Chelsea Peretti podcast. She used to get pretty needy. And that was part of the, you know, the joke, the shtick that she had. It was Bill Burr who does one by himself. Never comes across as uh, needy. I mean, that drive has to be there somewhere. But somehow he manages to do hour-plus episodes and just be completely chill. And Well, not chill. He'll get angry, but he never comes off as kind of desperate or uh, you know needing validation of any kind. He's just like, here, this is me. If you want it, great. If you don't, fuck off. Which is kind of like the ideal. But hey, you got to do you. And I'm always going to be a little bit yeah, unsure of myself. And that's just you got to accept that and roll with it. And it's got to be an upside at some point. Definitely not experiencing the Dunning-Kruger effect, whatever that is. I've got to do some reading on that because I've heard it thrown around and uh, essentially it's like the stupider you are, the less you know, the more confident you'll be and the more vociferously you'll argue like I'm still doing on uh, certain groups like good old conservatives and liberals, uncensored. Still just as much a 90% bullshit vacuum bubble even. There is a couple of stalwart liberal posters who put things right and better than i can and a lot of the time i'm just finding a really good argument in a reddit thread that's relevant and cut and pasting that because i'm not particularly articulate at the best of times ah so you know but hopefully with a bit of that and a bit of this i'll improve my debating technique even though it can only be so nuanced and deep in that context i think i'm always uh feeling like wow i'd love to be able to do this in person with some people or even on some kind of Skypey audio application. Not a big fan of interviewing people over Skype or a phone for a podcast. You know, if the right thing pops up, opportunity, then hey, anything could happen. I just want to know what that feels like to be going toe to toe with someone and actually be able to go, hey, what about this example? And just for a second, see that doubt in their eyes and go, oh, I didn't think of that. And yeah, sure, that might be, again, more of a point scoring thing than actually changing the world for the better. But hey, you got to take a bit of this. It's, it's a double-edged sword. There might be unaltruistic motivations for trying to win an argument. Like there's a little bit of ego in that. But ultimately you're coming from a good place as well. Like you believe in those values and those talking points for a reason. You, don't, you haven't just picked them out of a hat. You're like, no, I think it's probably a good thing that we have a certain amount of taxes and even higher ones for billionaires like Jeff Bezos, as much as I love his streaming channel and some of the content, it's like, dude, give people a living wage, stop busting unions, you know, just let people live their lives in at least a fashion where they can maybe send their kids to school and not need food stamps, be able to take toilet breaks, and 
a reasonable frequency and avoid all these horror stories that we keep hearing about his employees. I mean, he gets trotted out as the most obvious example as one of the more rich people running around at the moment uh, exploiting the working class. But, uh, obviously, there's thousands of others, probably you know, down to a few hundred really top elite one percenters that own the wealth of like 95 percent of the rest of the world that matches i think there was a stat i can't remember the exact numbers but it was ridiculous it was like yeah the top 10 richest people in the world as much wealth as say not the next but the lowest sort of billion people or something ridiculous like that and it's just like yeah something's going wrong here i know you got to reward people for hard work and innovation and all that and give them an incentive to keep doing that yeah the trickle down thing doesn't always work and there needs to be a little bit of elected representatives going hey man come on we got people starving and dying of treatable diseases over here let's help the community out a little that you've taken so much from sure we have really fast shipping but you know we might want a hospital or a road or two in the mix so that's enough a liberal agenda from me the last episode i do recall was about dark fate as i mentioned on banana split didn't do too well did enjoy it though i think i read an article about where it was going like it was a puff piece about james cameron and i'm not sure if i'd seen it at that point i don't think i had and i have now and i really liked it so i'm going to do a bit of a callback and hit the trivia page even though I've got a bunch of articles to read i want to kind of keep a running theme there and go to imdb and make it a two-parter I had the the preview for Dark Fate, and now this is the other side of that. It's a review. We're going to go with it, because I know I've read a few like snippets of reviews now and then. So I'll start with those, and then go into trivia. I won't read too many. I'll find something that sort of sums up the way I feel, because I'm probably, again, not as articulate as I'd like to be. And I'll say, yeah, it was amazing, and he finally got it right with like the taut, like... 24-hour period of getting chased, and it's just not going to capture it as well as the professionals say. So I am on the IMD website now with my slow ass. Oh, that's the other thing. I've been watching The Mandalorian. It's amazing. I'll have to talk about that. I've been watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Definitely check that out, anyone out there. But we're up for Dark Fate at the moment. And there it is, the top results. So it performed even worse, I think, than Terminator Genesis, the last film that they did. So that's quite disappointing considering I think they finally nailed a lot of what was missing from those later films the meta score is 54 i don't know if i mentioned the date it is the 26th of november so we're speeding into the uh, end of the year i'm a little nervous so these tend to take a while depending on i mean the smaller movies not that this is a small movie but the ones that don't do as well at the box office don't seem to have a lot of trivia it's, it's the big ones like lord of the rings and the real juggernauts that, that just have an endless list of trivia see how we go here right now though i'm looking for reviews i think it was rotten tomatoes where i was, I was the more punchy ones that pop up like here's just a user review disappointing follow-up so he's not gonna like that for some reason it is at the top of the long list of 1653 user reviews so we'll give that a shot i don't know how it got up there i guess it just had more likes than the other ones like 500 people found it helpful 200 didn't a weird sort of metric i'm a huge terminator fan and this is written by fieldy okay so providing credit and i've rewatched one and two before seeing this i didn't uh, my son watched number two or at least got halfway through it which was a little disappointing come on man that's the second time in a row where he's gone to watch a movie to prepare for a sequel and not quite got all the way there so got to work on his cinema homework there buddy anyway this guy is gutted to say the film has none of what makes terminator 2 one of the best films of all time the writing is below par plot uninteresting an emotional connection between the terminator and john connor none of that either james cameron what is this 
mind I don't think he's been on form for a good few years now. What makes Terminator 2 an amazing film, aside from the brilliant plot, amazing effects, great screenwriting and superb acting, is the emotional connection between the Terminator and John Connor. This is the lifeblood of that film and makes the viewer really believe that despite the hopeless future humanity is facing, if this Terminator can protect John then maybe mankind has a chance. The Terminator is a father figure to John and this is what connects the audience with the film so much. The heart-wrenching ending cannot be forgotten. The fact that we forget the Terminator isn't human because of how well the film builds the bond. This is what makes Terminator 2 so great, not the epic action sequences. So yeah, I agree with him about that. I don't think this movie was as much of a disappointment as he makes out. I mean, sure, it could have used more of an emotional bond between any of the characters. I kind of throw warning spoilers ahead. Really, you should have watched this and this is, you're just getting my take on it. And if you agree or disagree, hit me up. But yeah, I really think that the way they introduced the Terminator that we all know and love, Arnie, and didn't explain at all how he aged... Though I guess they just figured, look, they heard this, the whole spiel in Genesis and we're just going to go with that. Even though it's a different timeline, none of that happened. This is one where Linda Hamilton, basically straight after the end of Terminator 2, she saved the world. They head south, they get past the date where the world was supposed to end. And they're like, hey, we're still here. So we're doing something right. But clearly down the track, someone else comes up with a version of Cyberdyne or whatever dark future robotic overlord that comes to the fore and they send back the same t-800 it's arnie again he walks into a cantina in mexico somewhere and blows john connor away without so much as a hello or a, i'll be back it's just oh you're that guy i've got to kill bang see you later walks off into the distance and linda's left to pick up the pieces of what's you know her life it's which isn't much she's wanted by the FBI. There's a scene where she gets picked up finally by the immigration because they realize they have to go back into America from Mexico to get some kind of cool device, an EMP, which is the only thing they think will kill this new Terminator that's after them. And so she gets picked up by ICE and they're like, hey, you're on our, you know, most wanted list for 20 years. So woohoo, maybe 30 years. Like it's been forever. And she still looks good. She's still, you know, kicking ass, taking names. And that was fun, like her attitude, her interplay with the new kind of helpful robot that wasn't really a robot. It's a girl that's been given a few extra enhancements. So there's a bit of a more of a cyberpunk style, yeah, cybernetic enhancements, I guess. That's not clear. For a second there, you're like, no, maybe it's a robot and they're tricking her into thinking she's a human. But no, you find out that it's definitely a chick that just got some really cool extra powers. And it's very adamant about that. Quite offended if you call her anything like a robot but jesus those powers do come with a price which kind of makes it a little bit more what's the word like relatable it's hard to relate someone that can jump off a building and rip a robot's head off but it's basically like yeah once she uses this surge of energy she breaks down and needs like a hit of all sorts of a weird cocktail of drugs that gets her going again it brings that uh, sense of vulnerability to her that that you kind of need to be able to connect to that robot. I think it would have been cool to do a series. The the writer of the series was involved in making the film, and he also made the last movies, I believe. That was one of the writers from the TV show, the main one, plus the director of the last movie. So it was a bit of a hodgepodge. James Cameron was involved. I think he pretty much wrote the script. Obviously, this guy thinks he's off his game. I thought it was about the best we're going to get this generation. At some point, they're going to reboot it all. There'll be some new Terminator. You know, they're going to have to move away from the Arnie thing. I don't think it's ever going to be as good as it was in 1991. I just don't think they can capture that 
lightning in a bottle again. It, it's going to really take, it would be a miracle. It would take some new director with a completely different take on it. It would have to be kind of like a Logan type situation. Like, yep, let's go really dark. Let's go R-rated. This was like MA because they want the, the extra audience to, to sort of recoup their losses. I don't know if that's that worked because they didn't make enough. And I don't know. I really think given that the Joker made a billion dollars and that was R-rated, they really should have just like knuckled down, gone full hardcore dirty R-rated and had some like some kind of controversial style. I mean, these days it's not controversial enough just to have a female Terminator and a female hero because she turns out to not just be the mother of a future champion. She is the future champion. She becomes a general and spearheads humanity's uh, fight to save well, the world from these robots. So anyway, the rest of this review. So I'm sad to say this film has none of that. CGI, CGI, and more CGI. Do away with the depth of character building, emotional connections, and just add over-the-top action. It's a poor follow-up and lacks everything of what makes one and two great. The acting is decent. Davis, Hamilton, and Schwarzenegger do a good job, but they've got very little to work with here. This is what disappointed me the most. Why does it lack substance? This is James Cameron's epic creation. And this is what he serves up, along with Tim Miller. A total cash-in, if I've ever seen one. I'm not going to divulge the plot more. There's no need, as it can't even be mentioned in the same breath as the first two films. If this film was viewed as a generic action film at the cinema, it'd still be mediocre. The fact that this is supposed to follow on from the brilliant Terminator 2 makes it even more disappointing. This is James Cameron's Judgment Day. Do yourselves a favour and wait till it's home release. Or if you're planning on seeing it, don't bother watching the first two beforehand. We get it. You really fucking hate this movie. Um, let's see if I can find something better on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. That will involve picking up the keyboard. Damn it, I just put that down. R-O-T-T. -T. Let's see if it fills in the rest. Nope, it'll stop clearing the uh, browser history. And it is weird. Like the whole, like, instead of giving it a number, they just give it a weird subtitle. So let's see what it got over there. The Metacritic, remember, was 52%. Not sure. I'm trying to work with these cables. See, way too There's like six cables all over me at the moment. I'm like some weird caricature of a nerd on south park or something so the tomato meter is 71 percent the audience score is 83 percent so that's a bit shinier than the uh dismal looking reception on imdb let's scroll down and have a look at the critic reviews and also i want to see the box office because it's really not obvious on the imdb page like you really have to look for that case here i thought I, it jumped out at me for a second while scrolling and now i can't find it that's because there was a news and interviews uh section halfway down and one of the headlines was weekend box office results dark fate underperforms but finishes on top anyway so i guess it was just a shitty weekend for cinema so let's see there's a lot of tomatoes there's a lot of splats who do i like i'm going to see if there's a name that jumps out at me matthew rosa he's a top critic apparently and uh, let's go with what he said full review starting to get hungry so, you know, that will push me through this a bit quicker. Yeah, let's just go with that one. So really uh, shot in the dark, like total lucky dip. This should serve as an object lesson in a principle that Hollywood is usually unwilling to grasp about casting in blockbuster movies. Namely, that an actor's age is irrelevant. What matters is that you have compelling characters performing well, which is why Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger carry this film. The thought occurred to me again and again as the story of Dark Fate unfolded. Whenever Hamilton or Schwarzenegger appear on screen, the movie comes to life. Nostalgia is certainly a factor, of course, but the filmmakers knew how to take what has been established about their characters in the previous installments and build on it in clever and creative ways. In that respect, Dark Fate reminded me of last year's Halloween soft reboot. We'll have to watch that. 
since that movie utilised Jamie Lee Curtis as effectively as this one does Hamilton and Schwarzenegger. Coincidentally, that one ignored all the previous sequels in its series. This one ignores all but the first sequel. Because of Hamilton on Schwarzenegger, the movie works. Everyone else, though, played by reasonably competent actors, is bland and forgettable. Terminator Dark Fate opens with a plot development that I dare not divulge for fears of spoiling it, aside from saying that it effectively explains why John Connor isn't featured in the trailer. Yeah, he gets killed. The story then flashes forward to the year 2020, where a cybernetically enhanced super soldier named Grace is sent from the future to protect a young woman named Danny from a Terminator known as Rev-9. Gabriel Luna, he is good. Hope to see more of him. They are later joined by Hamilton's iconic character Sarah Connor, who has evolved from the charming youth in The Terminator and the fierce warrior from Terminator 2 into a grizzled, bitter alcoholic, but one who is still by far the most impressive hero in the film. Eventually, they meet a seemingly reformed Terminator who calls himself Carl, with Connor's one-liner response to that name bringing about audible laughter at the screening I attended. I can't remember what that response was, but basically, uh, yeah, he felt bad about killing John Connor and just slowly grew a conscience. Because, like, that was it. He killed John Connor. His mission was done. And just slowly formed bonds with some... I think it was a Mexican woman? I can't remember. But essentially, he grows as a robot and a person. Like, he becomes more human than human in the Westworld vein. It's really sweet. But you don't see any of that character development. You just have to assume that it happened and he's alright now. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a gap there, unfortunately. It's important to realise that the key ingredients of any Terminator movie are A, the special effects and overall aesthetic, B, the action sequences, C, the philosophical themes and commentary about the dangers of technology, and D, the characters and their various conflicts. I break down how the other movies stack up in this piece. There's a link to another piece, I'll leave that for now. In Terminator Dark Fate, the special effects are sturdy and convincing, utilising CGI sparingly and making even more fantastical elements look like real three-dimensional objects total opposite take from that last review. I think I agree more with this one. The action sequences felt fairly real. They felt like solid objects. Um, there was a couple of obvious CGI moments when usually you're in the sky and it's kind of hard to hide. But yeah, I, I thought it was fairly good. Like I, there was a couple of moments where I was like, holy shit. I almost, if it was 3D, I would have been ducking. While this installment lacks the tech noir ambience of the first film or the revolutionary special effects of the second, it doesn't do anything new. Its overall look is impressive nonetheless. The action sequences is top-notch with Tim Miller deftly choreographing the more complicated scenes in a way that never becomes confusing or nausea-inducing, a pitfall of many modern action movies, especially when they utilise shaky cam. There's none of that. The fight scenes are quite well done. You know what's going on and who's getting thrown where. Good top marks, Tim Miller. Great up-and-coming director, that guy. Uh, it is in the last two categories, intelligence of story and character development, that the movie wobbles although it doesn't entirely topple over. The beauty of Terminator 2 was that when watched back-to-back -back with the first film, it became an intriguing parable about whether we shape our fate through free will or are doomed to a deterministic universe. While the first movie took the deterministic route, but almost by default, the main character had to survive because she was destined to give birth to an important leader who would lead mankind in defeating an evil artificial intelligence known as Skynet, Oh, I kept saying Cyberdyne Systems. Well, close enough. It's one of those names. That took over the world. The second allowed a number of characters to exercise free will in ways that ultimately changed that supposedly inevitable future. For any sequel to occur after Terminator 2, of course, the installment needs to erase that existentially triumphant conclusion and return to a universe in which the machine caused 
apocalypse still transpires. That, in turn, should require the filmmakers to disavow the second film's pro-free will message, but invariably, they try to have their cake and eat it too. In the case of Terminator Dark Fate, it does this by having a different company create the evil computer network that ultimately destroys the planet. But since it makes no difference in terms of what happens with the Terminators or mankind's future more generally, this comes across as a lazy and meaningless distinction. When the characters talk about how the future is what you make, they are speaking against the logic of the plot, rather than organically from it. As for any kind of social commentary about the dangers of mankind's over-reliance on technology, the movie devotes little time to exploring them, instead addressing the subject through occasional throwaway lines about machines taking away jobs or the stupidity of the military-industrial complex. The new characters are equally underdeveloped. The strength of the first two movies was that they had the patience to let us get to know Sarah Connor, Kyle Reese, John Connor, and the sympathetic Terminator. They felt like individuals with lives and personalities separate from the story, and as a result we become emotionally invested in what happened to them. In contrast, Grace and Danny are generic action movie archetypes. The soldier and the innocent future prophet. See, I get that with the soldier, there's not much going on with her, but the innocent future prophet, you know, you kind of get a sense of her home life, her work life, they try. I don't know what else they could have done, but they made an effort. Not a huge amount of personality up to that point, to be fair. There are other side characters that feel completely superfluous, showing up and seemingly poised for development before being suddenly dispatched and rendered irrelevant. The story is in such a rush to get its characters to the action bits that we barely get to know them and as such spend our time waiting for Schwarzenegger and Hamilton to return. It, it, yeah, to be fair, it was much more fun when they were on screen. This may seem like a lukewarm endorsement, but make no mistake about it. Dark Fate is the best film in the series since the first sequel and is far superior to Rise of the Machines, Salvation or Genesis. It was smart of the filmmakers to retcon those installments and allow this one to stand directly on the shoulders of the previous movies. Terminator Dark Fate is a worthy follow-up. So that's that. I largely agree. I want one that, like, once you started talking about the deterministic first film versus the free will pro second film and the third film trying to do that, but kind of by the fact that it made the second film's ending redundant undermines its own message. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. I'm going to find another good one. And that's it. That'll be three. Okay, that's a good number, I think. Richard Roper rings a bell, um, but he doesn't like it. They're just serving up overcooked leftovers, apparently. I want one that's a bit more positive. Let's go with Barry. Barry's a good name. He's a top critic. He's from the Globe and Mail. That Barry hurts. Let's see what he has to say. And then I can close that main page and go to the Globe and Mail. Hopefully they don't have a paywall, because if so, sorry, Baz. We're done. Yeah, the opening weekend was 29 million. The gross was 60 million. Worldwide was 250. Budget was 185. Given that, I don't know if that budget includes all the marketing. It's still got DVD. It'll sort of break even, I guess, but did talk about two more sequels. That's not going to happen. It needed to make a billion dollars, I think, for us to see any more. Going back to that review, looks like it's finally loaded. Yeah, directed by Tim Miller, written by David Goyer, Justin Rhodes, and Billy Ray, whoever that is. Paradoxes are central to the Terminator films, what with their time travel shenanigans and bloodlines dependent on temporal disturbances, but the Terminator films are paradoxes themselves. Each new movie, at least all those arriving after the third entry, required the failure of the previous film to be necessary. Something had to go wrong for something to go right, but so far, nothing really has. The problem starts, in a way, with 2009's Salvation, which exists only to act as a retroactive continuity fix to the myriad disappointment of 2003's Terminator 3 
Rise of the Machines. But when Salvation faltered too, and television's Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, also slipped in and out of the cultural timeline without notice, 2015's Genesis was engineered by Hollywood's most fearless and clueless to reboot the whole franchise continuity once more. Well, that didn't work either, and so now we have the new Dark Fate, which promises really cross our skeletal metal T-800 fingers and hope to die promise to be the true successor to the Terminator franchise and deliver on the promise of James Cameron's original two-action cinema hallmarks. So that was cute, and it included the TV series, which, again, I still haven't seen. So according to some friends, it wasn't bad. Summer Glau was really good in it, so I do mean to catch that at some point, even though it's a what-if. It's a timeline that could have... All the movies are like that, essentially. You, could, you don't have to worry about timelines anymore. It's basically each movie stands on its own, and some not as steadily as the others. So anyway, many Terminators and Sarah and John Connors and Kyle Reese's and Miles Dyson's had to die so that Terminator Dark Fate could live. Was it worth the sacrifice? I'll go the monosyllabalic T-800 route here with my answer and say no. There are good-sized chunks of director Tim Miller's new film that work well and are even so thrilling as to briefly remind you of the pure shots of adrenaline that big-budget but dumb-as-bricks action movies are capable of producing. Maybe that's thanks to Miller given that he can boast solid explosion and car chase credentials owing to his work on Deadpool. Maybe it's thanks to the returning presence of Cameron, who is directly involved with the franchise for the first time since Terminator 2, only this time as a producer and one of the five writers credited with the story. Cameron was never on set, but his go-big-or-blow-up-home style hovers over the new film's money shots, including a furious one-two melee near the start of the film, which kicks off with a brawl inside a car plant before moving onto a crowded highway chase scene, that flicks at the famous reverse traffic breathtaker into live and die in LA. Haven't seen that, sounds cool. But whatever new ideas that this movie thinks it is boldly exploring for the first time, the line between man and machine, the wobbly definition of destiny, the repositioning of damsel in distress cliches, or in actuality, rehashes of not especially inspired concepts that the franchise, with Cameron and without, has explored many times before. By the point that Miller and his team cycle through all the expected beats, Ah yes, the final confrontation in a working but completely abandoned industrial complex. Glad we're getting that again. My only hope for the future of mankind was that the inevitable robo-pocalypse would wipe us all out already, so we could move on to other concerns. Dark Fate opened shortly after the events of T2, with Sarah and her son, John, on the run. But where T2's first few minutes give us a horrifying glimpse of a nuclear holocaust, Dark Fate offers the franchise's most terrifying vision of technology gone wrong yet. The digital de-aging of actors. Whoever was responsible for making Hamilton and Furlong look the way that they do in the film's first few minutes, ostensibly just as young as they were in 91, but in reality an off-putting combination of waxy, weird and alien, should be given lifetime bans from CGI work, lest they inadvertently create the Skynet equivalent of Hollywood flashbacks. The effects here make Ang Lee's efforts to de-age Will Smith in Gemini Man look like the next generation brilliance of a quantum computer. Well, I didn't remember thinking it was that bad, but uh, I did flash through it pretty quick. The film recovers quickly after this visual nightmare of a prologue, and we're now in present-day Mexico City, where a robotically augmented human soldier has been sent from the future to save the young factory worker's life, Danny, before another Terminator, Gabriel Luna's shape-shifting Rev-9, can blah 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 blah. Not to be glib, but the story that we're warily expecting is exactly the story we get, with barely a talk or a twist to something new. Parts of the script unintentionally acknowledge such a lack of innovation and effort. Danny, for instance, repeatedly protests her importance to humanity's future, telling Grace that I'm nobody, thus nailing her cipher of a character. 
Meanwhile, a bloodbath set inside a Mexico-US border detention centre carries great metaphorical potential, yet the scene arrives stripped to politics, purpose and interest. Oh, this is harsh. And this was a good review. I'm pretty sure the tomato that's solid is, is a positive thing. I'll have to double-check that. It's not all dire. Hamilton eventually shows up as a regular age Sarah, complete with a stand-up-and-cheer bazooka-firing moment, and a grizzled Arnold Schwarzenegger pops up midway as another iteration of a robot that's learned to love and acquired a keen sense of interior design along the way. There's no explanation offered as to why his T-800 has aged organically, but again, the film offers many questions without answers, including just how a military-grade weapon falls into our hero's laps, and what law of physics the film might subscribe to, given the ridiculous presence of a late-game mid-air set-piece. Yeah, it was pretty wonky. Ultimately, it's nothing more than a run, duck, and repeat production. An extraordinarily familiar, if efficiently made, exercise in Terminatorology. If the franchise pattern holds, it'll be back. I don't know. I think this is before he found out how badly it did. It's going to be another decade or two, and it'll be completely, like, fresh. Here we are, arriving at the trivia. Let's hope some of it is interesting. During filming, Tim Miller had to tell Linda Hamilton to stop smiling when she was firing guns. Well, that's pretty cool. I like the start of that. Uh, it gives me a bit more insight into her as a person who obviously really enjoys shooting stuff. So who doesn't? Because she doesn't smile much in the movie. So it's good to know that a bit of fun. It's Linda Hamilton's first movie where she gets top billing. It's the first Terminator movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is billed second. I'm sure he's okay with that by now, given his illustrious career. And it's kind of a pity that it's the first one for her. You know, it's been more than 30 years since the last movie. So come on, what the hell happened? He considers it, James Cameron, a direct sequel to... Terminator 1 and 2. He was not involved in 3, Salvation, or Genesis. Dark Fate disregards the events of these films, so you're going to hear a lot of stuff you already know, as well as the short-lived TV series. In 2017, Cameron commented that he's been generally supportive of those films, but for various reasons they did not work for him. So he decided to produce a true sequel himself. That means that the rise of the machines, yeah, they're all, they're all like alternate timelines as we know. The song playing when Rev9 crashes through the shed at a barbecue is the same song that's playing when the T-800 enters the bar at the beginning of Judgment Day Terminator 2. That's cute. Brett Azar serves once again as a body double on which the face of a younger Arnold Schwarzenegger is recreated. I've got to look that guy up. He must be a big boy because they had to put him in that scene walking into the Mexican, I guess it was a cantina, I can't remember. I'll probably watch this again one day with someone who hasn't seen it on Blu-ray. Because I'm a completist. And it's still enjoyable enough. Yeah, he's a big boy, Brett. Basically Arnie-sized. If you go to his IMD profile and click on one of these many topless pics, he's a fucking machine. Holy. And he's more of like the current chiseled with like ridiculous lats and shoulders. Arnie was always huge and impressive. Like the chest was big. But this guy's got like muscles I didn't realize people could have. So... I can see where it works and he should have more work he's basically like who's that other guy that's getting a lot of work now is it the ex-wrestler he's the current kind of big guy that you see and everything that requires a kind of beefy slightly humorous big guy now he was in blade runner 2049 christ the guardians of the galaxy as drax yeah that'll come to me as soon as i listen to this in editing you idiot you know it's such and such but you know you can be just as outraged and we'll move on. The film takes place in 2020. James announced that the sixth movie would be the final film, even though the ending clearly sets up another sequel. Does it, though? I mean, I think it sort of also could possibly close the door. I mean, it's not really that obviously... It's not really a cliffhanger anyway, put it that way. I mean, they leave the door open, but it doesn't have to be. 
So Arnie was 71 and when production began. 36 when the original movie was in production. That's, uh, Christ, that guy's 71. Insane. He announced that shooting will start in uh, March 2018. See, this is, this is annoying because there's bits in here that are like, well, this is going to happen with these people. Robert Patrick won't be involved with the film, which is a pity. But, I mean, it makes sense because there's an alternate timeline where they used a different evil company and a different Terminator. Let's jump halfway through into this one. The film appears to be a reboot of a reboot. Genesis was a reboot of The Terminator and the first installment of a trilogy of new movies. The last movie ended up making $440 million and was given poor reviews by critics. Instead, Paramount Pictures abandoned the sequels. Additionally, this movie will also be one that will come out 28 years after the latter Judgment Day. I mean, that made 440, which is still a lot more than this one made. So, yeah, not much chance of more getting built on top. Sorry, Danny or whatever her name was. She'll hopefully get work somewhere else because she's not going to be back in a Terminator movie, that's for sure. Which is a pity because I liked her. Everyone's saying that she was cardboard and, and the other girl too, the Terminator girl. I mean, yeah, okay, fair enough. She had some interesting scenes especially in the beginning when she turns up and has to fight some cops and some pretty powerful flashback stuff but maybe she wasn't getting it given if there'd been a series she could have fleshed herself out a bit more same with danny but yeah i I get why people are saying there wasn't enough meat on those bones figuratively and literally the first terminator film in 16 used to be r-rated after the third film really okay i for some reason thought it wasn't but it wasn't r-rated enough that's what i'm going to say they should have gone really hard, like a dirty R, and that might have made it stick to landing a bit better. That's kind of interesting. It will be released 35 years to the day after the original Terminator. In Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger tells John Connor, I'm, I'm mixing up character names and actor names, whatever, you know who I mean, that he is from 35 years in the future. In both the first and second movie, it was established that Terminator comes from the year 2029. Dark Fate is released in 2019, a decade before John sent kyle reese and the terminator to protect sarah back what the fuck none of that makes sense because it wasn't the film's release has been pushed back uh from july to november to avoid competition with fast and furious presents hobbs and shaw that's fair enough they're they're two very similar kind of audiences that they're going for it was moved to november one uh wasting no time to take advantage of wonder woman 1984 what that's due next year moving to june 2020 it faced against Harriet and the US release. I don't know what they're talking about at the end there. Producer and series creator James Cameron has stated that he was involved in the writing but didn't interfere with Tim Miller's direction. He never went to the set. They keep saying that. And maybe that would have saved it. However, after the first rough cut of the movie, Cameron stepped in for some uncredited editing, finding Miller's version to be pretty rough and pretty long. He admitted that he and Miller had their share of disagreements, which at times became a bloodbath and the blood is still being scrubbed off the walls from those creative battles. This is a film that was forged in fire, but that's the creative process, right? So that's a whole quote from him. See, I wasn't aware of how much uh, bad blood there was. Not so much bad, like I'm sure they're still professionally okay with each other, but that might explain the mixed result. It certainly wasn't perfect. I mean, there was a lot of issues in Deadpool. Tim Miller had come in and uh, taken over from someone else. And Okay, maybe he's not the golden child. We'll see. We'll give him another chance. I know he didn't do two. That was someone else again, I think. See what else he comes up with. Casting agents were looking for an 18-year-old Mexican girl to play Danny Ramos. Natalia Reyes was cast as Danny. I finally drop her name. Though she's actually Colombian and 31. But that's fine. That's pretty standard Hollywood shit. 
we need a teenager, let's get a 30 year old. She doesn't look 30, so that kind of works in this case, but Jesus, she's easy enough on the eye, I don't know. I don't think I can remember her face at this point. Yeah, I guess in a movie like this, it didn't really give her a strong enough, uh, a big enough chance to do magic. Maybe uh, at least it gives her enough of a profile to pop up somewhere else and really show her stuff. There we go, the poster of the movie, which Sarah Connor is seen walking across the highway, is influenced by the poster of the movie Logan. That movie took place in the year 2029. 2029 was the year John Connor sent Kyle Reese back and the T-101 through time to protect Sarah. Yeah, so anyway, a few links there. It wasn't obviously as critically acclaimed as Logan, but nice little, what's the word, homage, at least in the poster anyway. This is the third Paramount Pictures film to be distributed internationally by Disney since Popeye. Co-screen story Josh Friedman also worked on this Sarah Connor Chronicles as the creator and producer on the show. James Cameron never watched it because it's just not his. So if it's not his, he doesn't watch it. Jesus, that's a little arrogant. I mean, imagine making one of the greatest films of all time you just knuckle down and you knock it out of the park and people are talking about it for decades and he's there's that one quote where he's like i see references to it in all these other movies like the matrix but i also acknowledge that they do cool shit too that will other directors will emulate and yet if someone goes out and makes another terminator movie or show you just might not watch it because it's not his one it would make sense maybe if he's like if they fuck it up I'll be too pissed off, so I don't want to risk it. So there's some logic there. Sorry about any excess background noise. I don't know if it's coming through, but there is a little bit of a windstorm coming on. It's very heavy storm last night, which is why I didn't do the podcast then. Oh, that's my excuse. I was actually watching Mrs. Maisel, and the winds come back in a big way, but you know, hopefully less lightning and thunder this time. As nice as it is to fall asleep to. The plane crash over the Hoover Dam, as well as the plane going down in Grace's flashback, resembled a rejected draft. Teddy Serafian wrote for the climax of Terminator 3. In that draft, a Boeing crashes in downtown LA and explodes half the city. That's a big plane. However, both producers and distributor Warner balked at the cost of the scene, so it was written out. It's also a plane crash, I guess, so there's that. Otherwise, it sounds quite different. The film was released in the same month as Charlie's Angels, both Terminator and Charlie's Angels reboot an earlier movie directed by McGee, Terminator Salvation, and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Yeah, so he did both of those. He was alright, that guy. Made some good shit. I mean, the original Charlie's Angels, everyone says, at least, were pretty good. Still not watched them. I managed to see the reboot. Not too impressed. The girls are pretty cool. I even somehow have a softening in my heart for Kristen Stewart. She was quite watchable, but otherwise the film was a bit of a... I mean, that didn't do too well either. Hopefully, this week watching not Ford vs. Ferrari as much as I'd love to. It'll probably be the last movie before Lewis goes back to the Philippines for Christmas. And can't remember what that is off the top of my head, but I know he was keen. Oh yeah, it's the one with Chris Evans and a whole bunch of other cool people like the James Bond actor. And it's like a whodunit. The last one we watched like that was Murder on the Orient Express. Um, so a similar kind of thing set in the past. It's in a big house. It's this detective that turns up and interviews everyone. The trailer doesn't give too much away, I don't think, so that's cool. And should be fun. He likes those murder mystery things. But back to the last of the trivia. We're, we're moving down into the spoiler-filled territory. And the first one, it said that in previous installments, it's been established that dogs can detect and will bark incessantly, so humans employ them as a detection system. However, the aging Carl owns a dog that quietly allows the Terminator to pet it. This subtle detail signals that despite Sarah's skepticism, Carl has in fact become more human-like and empathetic. 
Yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, as long as he gets the dog knows him from maybe when it was a puppy, and that makes sense. It will get to know him. It's not just some random robot that's wandered in. I think we read this in the article, the next one. The producer, David Ellison, admitted that the uh, Genesis movie fell short of expectations. And this is James speaking. He was quite honest with me about this. Fell short of the mark and it didn't really do what he had wanted it to do. Yeah, that's what we read last time. So he said, let's start with a blank slate and take it back to T2. And that was intriguing. Didn't quite pan out, but had a good good crack, I reckon. There's a line here that says, in July, James Cameron, this is 2017, said he's planning a new trilogy and that Arnold Schwarzenegger might not be a cyborg, but the human who gave his appearance to the Terminator. Like, they would totally need to go back to, I guess, the 80s or something, or could be someone in the future that they're using as a template, but they're going to somehow have to do the de-aging thing, and hopefully better than they did in this movie. Yeah, that's not going to happen, but it's a cool idea. Like, if they could have gone with that, like a really weird prequel, it'd be interesting. In line with other movies, the T-800 loses an arm and an eye. Okay. That's a regular thing. This film confirms that, much as in Genesis, if given the chance, the organic part of the T-800 actually ages over time. This was an idea that series creator James Cameron had given to the makers of Genesis and now has employed himself. Well, that gives it a bit more legitimacy. In this movie, it's Sarah Connor who gets to say, I'll be back in three, Rise of the Machines. She'll be back and I'm back. Schwarzenegger himself is a variation on his line. He says, I won't be back. I don't think I'll watch it again, though, not for a long time, unless I can freeze aging, so I, that's not an issue, because otherwise it's two and a half hours, I won't get back. I remember enough about it to not need to see it again. The sunglasses worn by the T-800, where he kills John Connor, are exactly the same iconic model worn by the T-800 in Terminator 2. And then he picks them up again from some random place he ends up in. Goes to put them on, and then puts them down. Guitars Cadillacs by Dwight Yoakam can be heard during the scene where the Terminator smashes a garden shed it's the same trivia but at least this time they named the song you know where he came in naked into a bar in t2 although it ignores the events of the third fourth and fifth installments whether purposely or not elements of all three can be found the notion that judgment day is inevitable and can merely be postponed that's from three as it is in humanity's nature to create its own demise the presence of a hostile terminator that consists of a solar part and a liquid the tx in rise the rev 9 killing off the main antagonist with the hero's power source. Salvation, an ally who has enhanced human, who sacrifices a vital... Oh, I forgot that they did that with uh, Christian Bale. Who sacrifices a vital component to save the hero. Grace Darkfate and Marcus Wright, Christian Bale, in Salvation. So I, I like that movie. Have I said that or not? Genesis, someone materialising on an overpass after time travelling. The idea of luring the villainous Terminator into a kill box... An aged T-800 who has humanized and serves as an ally, and a character who has knowledge of an alternate timeline. Kyle Reese in Genesis, Kyle in Dark Fate. Yeah, he gets a few timelines. Somehow, he finds out when people are coming. He can detect when a time traveler is about to turn up, and then basically just text that address to uh, Sarah. And she's like, I don't know who this guy is, but thanks. The phone number for US releases displayed on Carl's van is 888-512-984, with the last seven digits referring to, yeah, the, the opening of date that Carl Reese arrived. For international releases, it was changed to 800 It's a valid phone number, and dialing it results in a voice message saying, Hi, this is Carl's Draperies. We have the best draperies and curtains anywhere in Texas. Sorry, we're not here right now. We'll call you back 
Until then, hasta la vista. That's pretty cute. Yeah, so he doesn't show up until an over an hour into the film. It's quite a late arrival. The memorable line from previous movies, Come With Me If You Want To Live, was replaced by Come With Me Or You'll Be Dead In 30 Seconds. This is what Grace says when she counters the Rev 9's first attack on Danny. I remember that, that was quite cool. It was a tight scene, that one. Director Tim Miller explained the decision to kill off John Connor in the beginning of the movie was taken early on. With Skynet's creation prevented in Terminator 2, John no longer had any heroic role to play, and they could not imagine him being a 36-year-old accountant somewhere. John's daughter was briefly considered to be the new saviour, but Miller decided to step away from this chosen one trope in favour of an every woman who rises through adversity. John's death also had the advantage of providing a solid story arc for Sarah Connor's bereaved and tormented character. Yeah, it just feels like it totally deflates the ending of the second one, though. Like, they go through this whole ordeal to keep him alive, and then it's just like, pop, he's gone, sorry, took about a minute. Danny saving young Grace mirrors a similar scene from the previous film, Terminator Salvation, where John Connor saves a young Kyle Reese. That's doing my head in, I can't remember either of those things. When did Danny save young Grace? Oh, that's in the future. Grace is a kid, and that's she's telling a story about how an older Danny in the post-apocalyptic world turns up, and she's like, hey, you're the leader of this army of people that are taking it back. Yeah, it's in the future, and, and Danny's basically this not much older. She's pretty much only a tiny bit older looking than she is in this movie. It's probably just 10 years later, I think 2029, when all this sh shit goes down and they send the robot back. Well, not robot, but enhanced human yeah okay so let's just move on from that boring tidbit sarah can be seen using the weapon short barrel shotgun that the t-800 dropped after killing john connor in the prologue it would make sense that she uses the weapon that reminds of her of her failure to save john to fuel her anger against her son's killers 45 minutes into the movie when sarah grace and danny get past the border into texas they are getting arrested there are five police cars and when they turn on their lights this resembles the exact same sound and melody as the intro of the Terminator theme song. That I like. John Connor's death in the beginning means that this is the second time that an underage character from a James Cameron movie is killed off in the prologue of the sequel. The first time was when Newt from Aliens died in the opening scene of Alien 3, something that he intensely disliked. However, he was heavily involved in Dark Fate and fully agreed with John's demise as it provided dramatic fuel for the rest of the story. Yeah, that beginning of aliens 3 was just oh that was ass we need to reboot that shit unfortunately yeah all the latest alien movies not really hit the mark for anyone the climactic turbine whore fight was completely designed to strip danny's protectors one by one as the fight progresses tim miller wanted the sequence to be a present-day allegory of a saint george facing the dragon alone for that purpose each of her protectors crashes and gets crashed one way or another when fighting the Rev-9, so that Danny is the last person standing to deliver the fatal blow. At the turbine pit, originally the Rev-9's ripping of the Terminator's right hand, flesh was more gruesome in attempting to haul itself back up, but it was edited out because Miller thought that the ripped-off flesh looked like jerky meat. Fair enough. Carl had a redemption arc. Carl redeems himself, this is Arnie, for murdering John Connor by sending encrypted messages to Sarah about the location of the terminators and choosing to help sarah and grace protect danny ramos from the rev 9 he sacrifices himself by dragging the rev 9 off the ledge which grace's power core destroys them both that's some bad grammar there and i don't know if that was trivia it was just like here's a bit of the plot how do you like that arnold's character's machine gun with a grenade launcher is reminiscent of his characters from the end of days that's another movie he made 20 years ago in which he had a similar gun 
which he needed to fight the devil and predator in which he had an M16 with a grenade launcher to kill gorillas in South America, as well as the... Who wrote this? It's like an 8 to 12-year-old just adding all this useless information, which I think sums up that trivia. I mean, there was a couple of interesting tidbits about behind-the-scenes stuff, but I prefer that kind of... That's why I should probably read more film magazine articles because they really dive into that stuff like what was going on on set the thoughts of the writers and directors whereas a lot of this stuff's like hey this happened at x time and that's coincidentally related to something that happened at another time i don't know i I just can't get off this train though i keep going back to it there was a goof section and then we're done because we're like an over an hour into this fucking thing and i'm starving and someone messaged me today going is this turning into a monthly podcast and i was like shit i really have to do this it's been weighing on me so goose and then that's it no more reviews no more pointless trivia the goose better be fucking good oh yeah the opening credits vhs fuzz over them in addition the paramount pictures and fox logos briefly flash their versions from 95 yeah that was pretty cool when alicia bids goodbye to carl and gets in her car she appears to accidentally nudge carl with the car door right see that's i really need to pre-read this shit daddy and sarah visit young grace in the end but would likely be in custody or unable to freely roam in public after the events at the military base border facility and Hoover Dam. They would be high-profile fugitives and all over the news. Yeah, but would they? Because they get so much freaking help from the military. That's another thing that I just kind of skip over. Like, suddenly the military's like, yep, we like these people, let's give them all the thing. I mean, just because that one guy that Sarah Connor somehow is friends with, he's just like, hey, help them. And the whole army and air force is like, all right, Here's our refueling planes. Just keep doing the thing. The processor in T-800 Terminators is set to read only when they are sent out alone. So unable to learn unless the switch is manually reset. However, the T-800 states that it learned from humanity to integrate into it, which it should not have been able to do. All T-800s are aware of the read and write mode in their CPU. After completing his mission, Carl had no purpose. So it could... This is an incorrectly regarded as a goof thing, so I like this. Yeah, so it could manually have switched from read whenever it wanted to, or could have already been in read and write mode the whole time. Who knows? It's been suggested that in the second film, which was set in 95, John Connor appeared to be a teenager who was, based on his appearance and voice in some scenes, just entering puberty. And since in the opening scene of this film is set in 98, John hasn't aged, grown, or nearly as much as he should have. Right, so that's the thing. And he's like, hey, you didn't grow enough. However, in Terminator 2, while the actor that played him was 14, the actual character was only 10. Jesus, it's a big 10-year-old. My son is 10, and he doesn't look like anything at all like Edward Furlong at 14. I don't think any 10-year-old does, so that's another bit of Hollywood bullshit right there. As the opening scenes of this film is set three years later, that could mean John would only be 13. So, that, yeah, that kind of works. In one scene, the T-800 is seen with a dog cuddling up next to him. Yeah, we mentioned this before. The dog was raised around and terminated. There's no reason it would not be used to being around one, yeah. I mean, it's like he's a vacuum cleaner that pats him. No big deal. Grace has incredible strength, speed, and agility, and is able to go one-on-one with the Rev-9. Yet there are several scenes where Grace visibly struggles to restrain Danny, a slight human female, much smaller than her. This is likely because Grace does not want to injure Danny. Of course, easily debunked. Rev-9 uses nanobots to control machines, but does attempt not use them, sick, to reprogram the T-800, nor Grace's cybernetic enhancements. Okay, then the corollary, if I'm saying that right, is Legion and Cyberdyne machines of foreign technology to each other. Also, the Rev-9 never showed that it had the ability to control machines when not connected to a source linked to a satellite. Grace is augmented with Legion tech. She's not a machine. That would have um, 
been really shittily. I mean, it's already way OP for compared to them. So to be able to do that as well, like fuck. Gabriel's primary mission is to kill Danny Ramos. When Gabriel has commandeered the military aircraft and catches up to the aircraft she's in, he had the perfect opportunity to cause a mid-air collision and wipe everyone out. Instead, he nudges his aircraft against the one with Grace in it so he can sneak on to kill Danny directly. This gives the good guys the time and opportunity to get away. It would have been better to cause an immediate collision and then follow up afterwards to confirm the kill, as he surely would have survived the crash. He would have. Fair point. Okay. But, you know, it's a movie. And I guess he's got a little bit of an ego by then because these robots do slowly build a personality, it seems. And he just wanted to look her in the eyes as her life slowly was snuffed out. He was a narcissistic robot. Carl, the T-800 living in society, after completing its mission, would be easily recognised and wanted by authorities for murdering John Connor, destroying Skynet, and killing 30 LAPD officers in 1984 with multiple witnesses. He would not be able to own and operate a drapery business. See, that's a good goof. A plot hole, as they call it. There's no explanation of that. Like, what the fuck, man? You're in Texas. It's not like you went to Paraguay. Several patrol cars at Mexico City have the words Policia Municipal written on them, which means municipal police. However, Mexico City has no municipalities, and contrary to a patrol car from any other state in the country, no official vehicles are labelled as municipal. Well, big fucking deal. It's an alternate universe. Let's go with it. After they meet Carl, they're all sitting outside talking. Sarah asks how Carl's wife doesn't notice that he's 400 pounds. Yet, he's sitting on a deck chair that seems to hold the weight without any kind of straining or warping. Yeah, that's just movie physics, can't... Can we just go with that? During the riot in the d- detention centre, Sarah Connor is being escorted out of the facility by local police, but still in the main haunting area, manages to get hold of a gun from one of the police officers. But how did he have a gun in the main holding area? No firearms are allowed in the main holding area. Good point. That's even illustrated earlier on when the Terminator tries to get in. He has to hand in his gun, so... Well spotted there, Mr. Anonymous. I reckon that's about it. This is what I get for reading it out of order. So that will do for the Terminator Dark Fate. I personally, I think my review was somewhere in the area of like 7 out of 10. I thought it was an adequate, solid contribution to the franchise. And it's going to be the last one for a while, put it that way. So that's it for the movie stuff. I was talking about my job at... I edited out the name. Because I was worried that in the future, someone might find out where I worked, someone that wasn't happy with me, and somehow get me in trouble. Which was a bit paranoid, but it doesn't matter now, because I lost that job. The old being on the phone too much, though it made... And I know how this sounds, because the same thing happened at Cookers, and it's like, dude, just fucking get off the thing. But you had to be in this truck for more than 10 hours a day with these guys, who are literally on their phones constantly, and verbally acknowledge that that was fine and they're cool and the bosses are all dickheads and whatever man we're waiting two hours for this crane or forklift or whatever it was and there's literally nothing else to do or the straps were loosened or tightened or whatever i needed to get done before we went to the next job and then we're just like hey let's take a break there's nothing to do so it's like well i guess i'll check facebook like you are or whatever he was doing there was three different guys the first one was friendly enough they were a little gross with taking his shoes and socks off and constantly smoking and talking about young women even though he's in his 60s that's the nicest way i'm going to put it the next guy was a bit weird and sort of turfed me off uh, halfway through a day and put me with a lebanese dude who could barely well he had english but it was just he didn't talk much and when he did it was like what but he seemed friendly enough like he was the nicest guy and at the end he was like 
I got a call from John because I was like, look, this is my last day as an offsider. What am I doing tomorrow? John was the manager. And I was like, look, I need to come in and I need a truck if I'm going by myself. Like, what's happening? He's like, come in at eight o'clock to HR at Granville. And I was like, oh, I know what's happening. Called him. Dude, is this, am I like, do I still have a job? His answer, my boss, was, I don't know, just come in tomorrow morning. So pretty much knew what was happening then. Mentioned it to the uh, Lebanese driver. I think I called him Charlie. He had some more natively appropriate name, but I forget, of course. Yeah, she genuinely looked like he felt remorseful and, or at least like, oh man, I hope it goes all right. Good luck. And you've been really good here. So I don't know why you would be that go, but fingers crossed. So it was just bizarre like i sat there with john and some hr woman i'd never met before it was a weird place like getting paid maybe 22 dollars an hour and just hanging around because the work was reasonably doable like i wasn't killing myself and full time yay you get holidays now and then so the money wasn't that great but i was just, just down for anything stable and yeah they're like oh you shouldn't be on your phone i'm like what are you talking about i was only doing that in the briefest of breaks when i absolutely had to and following the lead that the other drivers gave me. I honestly, just because I'd thought about it the night before, knowing what was coming, and I was like, this is kind of silly. Like, you've got one rule for me, one rule for them, and I said that straight up. And he's just like, yeah, well, you know, I expect more from you. So, yeah, I went away a bit disgruntled from there, just like I did with cookers, and I guess I just wasn't the right fit, but it was just bizarrely obvious the double standards they've got for guys that have been around for a while and some guy that's turned up and he's only going on the word of i'm guessing the first and second driver because i don't think the third guy was like hating on what i was doing the most i could do running around i was the last job i did was unloading jip rock and plasterboards at a place in the hot sun it was a hand delivery so it was just me and this guy that was there in his front yard it looked like he owned like three or four houses in that street in granville and uh it was just doing up a granny flat or something and i was carrying the boards with him and again it was hot and i was like man i'm earning my money now it was way after four we only get paid a salary so there's no point doing overtime but what we uh just did what we had to do so yeah i felt a bit unappreciated there because i knew i could do that job with my eyes closed by the end of three weeks or whatever it was so yeah i understand how it sounds being the second time the phone things come up but like in this case i think if you if you were there you would see how kind of silly it looked though i did vow look if this happens again or i'm in a similar situation i will try and be on it less and what happens i am at a new job i I won't go into the name this time and it's through an agency anyway so i'm not that fast but yes delivering kegs or sometimes packaging like cases of beer and i'm with a different person every day i don't know how much they interrogate them they all the guys so far have been pretty chill and again on their phone all the time so i'm like and a big thing about this job is they want to get as many hours as they can to pad out their salary like we're talking 12 hour days and you're getting paid 35 dollars for every hour of that time so you're like well i guess we need to have a break here and stretch out a little there and what do they do when that happens you check your phone so they're and they're pretty much saying to me like if this happens don't tell anyone or there was one moment where we might have tapped a bollard and something fell off the top of it i was like yeah can you just tell the boss that you hit that with your hand and it wasn't the truck things like that where i'm like these guys letting me in on little scams so they can't throw me under the bus too much and one of them even said like i think the guy yesterday the 
kind of Aussie, kind of wog dude, but like very, a lot in common. Like he's bought a Subaru STI and we just chatted all day. It was great. Though he did say, look, I prefer to be my, on my own because I can just watch Netflix for hours on end. Like the first job, the window was for like eight o'clock. It didn't open till 10. So we're just sitting there next to this shop waiting for it to open. And it's like, yeah, to be honest, when I'm watch, watching Netflix at these times, and apparently these windows come up a lot where you're just hanging around, feel less anxious when someone isn't watching me and i'm like man i don't care like i've worked on the railways this shit is cool so i'd be pretty upset if something came up about my phone use though it's been today was my fourth or fifth day so nothing no drama yet from anyone it's it's been fairly steady i just get in and pitch in where i can learned a lot about moving electric pallet jacks and carrying lots of beer you'd be surprised how much there is to that so you know, fingers crossed. I don't know about going full-time because there's a lot of hoops I'd need to jump through, which might be unachievable, which I won't go into. But basically, if I stay as an agency, and some people have been able to do that for years, apparently, I could do all right. I could save up for things. And, you know, like I said, the money's okay. I did get a call back from URM, a garbage truck company, today. I missed it, and I didn't ring them back because I'm like, this job is paying okay. And I remember getting an interview set up with URM last year or something, and... I took another job instead. So clearly they're constantly looking for drivers. So I'll, I'll see this out and I think it's giving me what I want unless something magical pops up in the meantime that is that is full-time and I know I can just walk into. Yeah, for now it's sort of up in the air, but I think things are going well. I don't, I don't want to count on my chickens before they hatch, but yeah, I think it's all right. So on that note, I'm going to go make something to eat. If you've made it this far, that's fucking amazing because I've really dribbled on a bit. So high five to you. Anyway, that's the end of this. Peace out, yo. I'll uh, be back a little bit sooner next time, hopefully. Love yous all. Take care.